All right, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to have the uh, webinar will start in approximately three minutes. Thank you. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, thank you for um, attending this webinar on P&I insurance. Um, in case you didn't get that, the reminder just popped up to tell me to uh, start the webinar um, with a nice little Microsoft cord on the background. Uh, we're just waiting for a few additional people to sign on, and, and then we'll get going on today. Uh, the subject is uh, protection and indemnity. Uh, in looking through some of the attendees that are online, um, there's a few of you on here I think actually should be giving this webinar rather than receiving it, but uh, nevertheless, uh, we hope people get something of value um, of this. Um, again, as most of you know, this is actually, I think, our sixth webinar 
in this series uh, for 2015. Uh, we are um, uh, we've got some more planned, and we'll tell you a little bit about that at the end of the webinar um, for the rest of the year. Uh, and then we'll start a fresh uh, series for 2016. Uh, we'll wind up in about November um, with the last one for this year. Um, and um, again, start early for 2016. So let's start on P&I now. Uh, what is P&I insurance? Um, and, and really, it's got an odd name, protection and indemnity. Uh, and it was originally if in history uh, to protect and indemnify the client for a certain type of loss arising out of the vessel. If you come from a property background, it's an odd mixture because it is both a GL policy, a waterborne GL policy, the liability arising out of, out of the use and ownership of a vessel, uh, very akin to an aircraft liability policy or a, uh, even an automobile insurance policy. Um, but it also has that workers' comp element in, in it, um, often called Jones Act. Uh, that's a little bit of a misnomer. Uh, we've dealt with that a little bit under MEL. We'll touch on it again today. But it's really any liability to your employees um, arising out of the ownership or use of the vessel. It's it's a it's that combination of third-party liability and employee liability all wrapped up into one. And, and again, I'm not going to spend time going into the history of PNI. It's a long and, and fairly complicated one. Um, but um, if you think of it like a, an auto policy and a, and a workers' comp or a GL policy and a workers' comp wrapped together, you're getting pretty close to uh, the coverages that are included in a basic PNI policy. There are three um, forms in common use today, and we're going to compare and contrast these forms uh, as we go through the uh, the half an hour we're going to spend together. Uh, the SB23, the SB38, and the AIMU clauses. Um, 1955 was the SB38. Uh, that's the American form. It was called the Coastwise form at one point in its life. Um, and it really was the one that um, uh, was used most frequently on the vessels working in the brown water market. Um, the SB23 has some international flavor in it as well. It has some overseas exposures that will cover it. Uh, and the AIMU clauses, um, the recent addition, uh, 1983, all the way of uh, 32 years ago now, but that's the new form, so to speak. Uh, has some different coverages involved in it. So what does it give you? It gives you in the assess SP23 all loss of damage or expense here in set forth. It goes through and names a number of events that we're going to cover you for your liability. Um, any sums which the insured shall be liable on account of. Uh, assures which are liable to the ship owner uh, entitled. And, and don't get too hung up with the word ship in here although that's what it says, it really could be vessels of any type or size. But the really important thing for a P&I policy is that it only covers vessels that are scheduled. Um, it doesn't cover unscheduled vessels, unless you specifically add some endorsement. Uh, the basic form doesn't give you that. So why is that important? Um, let's say you've got a fleet of tug and barges, and within that fleet of tug and barges, you also own three or four John boats. And those John boats may only be valued a couple of thousand each, maybe less. 
Well, it's very easy to say, oh, I don't want to insure those. It's just costing me more money than with the deductible and the policy. I'm not going to get anything for those vessels. So the owner says, delete those vessels off coverage. Well, that's fine for the hull insurance, but it's not fine for the P&I. Because once you delete them off the schedule, or don't include them in the first place, you lose the liability arising out of that vessel. So what could that mean? Well, that John boat could run into some other vessel and do some damage. Possible, probably not too much damage. That may not be your, your problem claim, but your problem claim might well be crew. Your crew may be covered on your tug or your barge, but if that little John boat isn't scheduled on the policy in some format, um, you have no coverage for the liability to your crew on that John boat. And if you're not in P&I very frequently, uh, this is one of the things I really hope you will take away from today is you've got to schedule every vessel. Now, you could say, and four miscellaneous John boats um, ranging from 12 to 18 foot, you could put that in the schedule and that certainly uh, would add that coverage. Um, if you don't want to insure them for hull, you can certainly say nil hull value, but still leave them in the schedule for P&I. Uh, that's certainly uh, a way around this. But scheduled ves vessels is a very important point. Flip side, the point for, the, for those of you who are agents listening out here today, um, if you're asked to delete a vessel, um, our principle in this office is we never delete without knowing why. If it's been sold, if it's been scrapped, not a problem. But if it's just, uh, I don't want to pay the premium for it, uh, we've got to go back and warn the person that you're losing the liability as well. So what do you get? Loss of life, injury and illness. On all of the forms, they give you that loss of life, injury and illness. The 38 and the AIMU forms specifically say they do not cover any longshore claims or workers' comp. 23 is a little vaguer, but the intention's the same. It's not going to cover compensation type um, claims. Um, does provide for liability for stevedores handling cargo, uh, which is a type of longshore claim you can you can come. But overall, the direct liability for a compensation claim isn't covered under the PNI form, and it's pretty simple basis behind this. This this is a liability policy. Uh, it requires a tort liability of some format, uh, whether statutory or common law, to be in place to prove that you're liable for something. Uh, whereas the Compensation Act purely says pay me. There's no liability necessary in the Compensation Act. So a P&I policy for lots of reasons um, would not provide you any, any of those compensation or longshore claims. So whose loss of life? Probably the most common is passengers. If we've got a ferry boat, um, a charter boat, a cruise boat, cruise ship certainly, anything like that, our passengers are probably the most common type of claim we're going to see. Uh, people on other vessels, you know, we run into another vessel, do some damage to that other vessel, we injure some people, they could be crew or passengers aboard that other vessel, uh, they will be covered. To people on land or a dock, um, I always remember that James Bond film where there's a crew boat that runs into the dock and you see these people diving off either side of the dock to save themselves. So people on land and a dock or, or on a dock 
are covered under here, not on your vessel, but you're doing, you're running into that dock or you're setting your wave wash onto that dock. And of course your crew, um, the people that you employ, all of these forms, and these are the commercial forms in use today, automatically provide you crew coverage. Now, that doesn't mean to say the underwriter hasn't tagged on some endorsement limiting or taking it away, but the pure unendorsed form of the policy includes crew coverage. But I think it's important to remember that it's really anybody. It's not limited by one of the categories above. It says if we've, got, if we've injured somebody, if we've killed somebody, it doesn't really matter who they are. Uh, if it's through the course of the actions of our vessel, uh, then we, if we're held liable, we're going to pay. It's not this list doesn't exist in the policy, just something for easy reference. So let's talk for a minute about crew. Crew themselves actually get six different types. I'm sorry, five different types of potential benefits available to them. Maintenance and cure and seaworthiness. Our friend the Jones Act, uh, the Death on the High Seas Act, and wrongful death. Maintenance and cure is food and lodging and medical expenses, uh, actual medical expenses until maximum medical improvement is reached. And these are no-fault types of benefits. Uh, you just you get injured, you're sick on a vessel, in service of the vessel, you're going to get these two automatically. You don't even have to have that liability uh, set up in there. And seaworthiness is a little bit more complex, but you've got to show something isn't working aboard the vessel. It doesn't mean the vessel's sunk. It's got a big hole in the side. It could be as simple as uh, the lack of training of crew aboard, uh, not enough crew. Um, it could be a piece of equipment, maybe with a guard removed. Um, it's even in some cases been held to be as simple as water on the deck. Um, I find that somewhat amazing. It's a boat. You sort of, sort of expect water uh, to be on the deck, at least sometimes. Uh, if it's not, I don't know what, how you're running your boats. Um, one of, I think, one of the classics on the unseaworthiness claim was a young lady whose job it was to make up the bunks on a crew boat, and she was reaching up to reach the top bunk. She was fairly short, couldn't reach it, and fell off and injured her back. And she, she held that the vessel was unseaworthy because they should have provided her with a ladder to get up to the top bunk so she didn't have to stretch. Um, again, maybe a slight stretch of the law, but um, she won that case on unseaworthiness, or her attorney did. The Merchant Marine Act of 1920 is, re is the real name of what we colloquially call the Jones Act. Um, I'm sure most of you have seen in the press recently a lot of coverage on Jones Act. Um, most of the coverage is to do with the cabotage part of the Jones Act, which is its main purpose, and that is to protect American ships and American shipbuilding by saying that a vessel sailing directly between two U.S. ports must be built in the U.S. and crewed predominantly by U.S. employees. It's been a particular issue recently with Puerto Rico and Hawaii because the cost of shipping something on a U.S. vessel is significantly higher than the cost of shipping it on a foreign vessel. And that's driving up the cost of goods in, in uh, both Puerto Rico and Hawaii, and I guess for that matter for the US Virgin Islands quite considerably. There's a lot of move to abolish it, 
But what people are not really thinking about is that somewhere buried in the middle of this Jones Act, or the Merchant Marine Act of 1920, is this little clause that says a seaman can sue his employer for in injury or illness um, through negligence. Now, that sounds pretty tough, but in reality, the courts are very much in favour of the injured employee. So you almost have to prove that there was no negligence on behalf of the employer, or the vessel owner, and that's very, very tough to go, to do. It's absolute, it's non-delegable, you can't pass it on to somebody else, and includes the vessel, even if the employer is not the owner of the vessel. So let's say you run a dance troupe and you put your people aboard a cruise ship, that cruise ship is unsafe in some way, it's still your employer, your responsibility as those dancers' employers to make sure it's a safe place to work. And if it's not, you have clear liability under the Jones Act. The Death and the High Seas Act goes to seamen and non-seamen. There's no qualification needed here. You only get monetary damages. There's no punitive. But if you kill somebody beyond the 12 nautical miles, that's the high seas, about 13 and a half land miles, um, then the estate of the, uh, the deceased can sue for death on the high seas benefits. And wrongful death, this is sort of the mirror image of death on the high seas. Uh, surprisingly, only came about in 1970, a re relatively recent decision. And this again allows the estate or the personal representative of people within territorial waters uh, to sue. Um, the vessel owner or the vessel itself. And again, I found it rather odd that this was very recent, 1970, uh, 50 years after the Jones Act, and I'm just a little, uh, little, almost the same after Death on the High Seas Act. Uh, crew or any per person uh, excluding employees under the Compensation Act, we're going to get hospital, medical, and other expenses uh, paid for there. There is a burial expense limit of $200 in the SB23. Okay, the form is about 50 years old. Most underwriters will allow you to endorse that to a more reasonable number. Uh, SB38 um, doesn't have a burial expenses limit limitation, but the IMU, again, the more recent form has $1,000. Again, uh, most underwriters will allow you to endorse that if you wish. Damage to other vessels or property aboard caused by collision. Um, traditionally, uh, damage to other vessels is covered on the hull policy under the collision liability or the towers and collision liability form. So what the PNI policy does is it wraps around that and it says it's going to cover you excess of the hull policy if the damage is not fully covered by the hull policy to the limit of the PNI policy. Um, the SB23 uh, does not include that, but we can be added by endorsement. And the AIMU, again, does not include that. It can be added by endorsement. 23 is the only one that has that automatic wraparound. At the end of the day, you can add an endorsement and square these along, so there's not a lot of difference between the three forms in this section. Uh, some people like to put the collision liability all in the... Uh, P&I, I personally don't favour that. I think you're giving up significant limit. Can't help you on deductible, but you are uh, giving up limit in order to do that.
Um, damage to other vessels not caused by collision is covered um, in the 23, the 38 and the AIMU form, although there is a nuclear and pollution exclusion in the AIMU form. So how do you damage another vessel without colliding with it? Fire and explosion are probably the two most common methods of doing that. Um, wave wash, going too fast, you send wave wash or a wash that damages uh, another vessel um, without colliding with it. Um, but the third and probably the most important one is um, stranding the other vessel or making it run aground. You're forcing them out of the channel and to avoid a collision, uh, this, the other vessel doesn't hit you um, and it runs aground, you can be liable for that. And again, all three forms provide that. If you hit a dock, though, it's called allision. Um, uh, somebody actually asked me recently, was that just a mistype? No, no, allision is a separate word. And all the forms give you the physical damage to that dock, that pier, that seawall um, that you hit. Um, often these are owned by municipalities. Um, in many cases, the municipalities think they're worth a lot more money than uh, perhaps the general market does. And sometimes they get whole new facilities built from an elision claim on something that may have been, you know, 30, 40 years old to start with. Nevertheless, uh, that's their um, that's their right to do so. And if the courts hold you liable for it, you end up having to pay for it. Again, that's called a lesion. That's a damage to a dock or a pier. You've run into it um, on your vessel, and it's covered by all the forms. Removal of wreck um, is covered, including cargo in the SB23, uh, just the vessels in 38 and AIMU. So you sink your vessel at the dock. You sink your vessel in the middle of the harbor or in a channel. You have to spend money to get it out. That wreck removal, compulsory wreck removal, is covered by the P&I policy. Sometimes it's covered by the hull as well. The hull becomes primary, and the SP23 in particular covers it. Covers a secondary. Um, cargo is only covered in the 23. It can be added in the 38 or AAMU. Um, but remember, this is just cargo of your own vessel. If you tow a barge, and that has, a if it's a third-party barge and has its cargo uh, in there, that's not part of cargo legal liability. Um, again, you can see the baggage and personal effects inclusion, the 23. 23, as you're probably seeing by now, is a slightly broader form. Uh, the 20, 38 and the AMU forms are slightly narrower. But again, you can add those clauses back on if needed. Uh, fines, and, uh, fines and penalties are included, customs immigration or other fines and penalties. Um, they, there is a high degree of care required. You've got to do your best efforts. You just can't ignore everybody. Uh, but immigration's fines or penalties, customs uh, fines or penalties are all covered. Uh, cargo proportion of general average, if there is a general average on the vessel, uh, the SP23 is there as a last resort policy. Uh, if there's no coverage under the cargo policy, there's no coverage under any other policy for it, then the 23 will step in. Uh, but not covered in the 38 or the AAMU form. Again, there's no cargo legal liability, 
so the general average claim wouldn't be covered either. The limits, pretty obvious in here. The only thing I really just like to mention on limits is the SB23 actually describes itself as an aggregate limit. Uh, it's misleading if you come from a typical PNC background. This is not a, a total aggregate um, limit. It's an aggregate out of any one event. Uh, it's really an occurrence limit in um, in its real words. But it actually, if you read the form, it actually says aggregate. But it's not an annual aggregate. It's not a policy aggregate. It's a it's a per occurrence aggregate. Odd use of the term, but that's the way it is. Uh, deductibles, strangely, the 23 didn't have a deductible when it was written, so you have to add it by endorsement. Um, again, 38 and AMU, there are places for deductible. AMU form includes cost and expense, the others are quiet, um, silent on that. The 38 has a separate one for BI and separate one for PD, but again, you can combine that uh, if needed within the form. Here's just some of the different endorsements you can add, um, pollution, radioactive, punitive, uh, those are pretty standard. Automatic acquisition clause is a really good solid um, clause to add. If we've got a fleet of five or six vessels and we, we might buy another one, then we're going to go ahead and acquire some new ones, getting automatic coverage for those. Most of them will have a limit that will say I will take you up to the size or type of vessel that you've already got on the policy. Uh, collision and towers liability, again, that's already in the 23, um, but both of those could be added to the other two forms. Uh, most will add a navigation warranty, where can we operate? Territorial limit sometimes called, but navigation is the more traditional term. Swimming and diving exclusions are very common today. Um, sometimes you can buy back swimming, diving is very tough. Uh, there aren't many people that will give you that um, diving coverage on the back end of a PNI. War, again, an exclusion. Tria, terrorism exclusions um, can be bought back. Well, certainly you can go and buy a war policy, including Tria, uh, and for anything with any significant premium, uh, that's going to save you a whole bunch of money rather than trying to buy it back onto the hull policy or the PNI policy. Impersonum liability uh, covers you for suits against a person. Uh, that could be a corporation uh, rather than a suit against a vessel. Um, again, personum liability endorsement. Uh, virtually all PNI policies again have the schedule attached to the vessels. It's a single vessel policy. You might actually see it typed in to the form, but very rarely. Most commonly, it's going to be a separate uh, schedule attached. Additional insureds. Tankman's liability, if you've got a tank barge um, for the damage you might cause to another vessel, again, can be added. Uh, dredge clause, that can exclude some of the specialist operations um, of a dredge or, or similar specialist type vessels. Crew warranties, uh, watch out for these. Um, named crew is a particularly bad one. You know, if you name Fred, John and Bill and Bill's off sick one day and you replace him, Unless you've got that name crew written carefully, you don't have any coverage for that that missing name. Um, you can write it so there's a, a immediate replacement clause on it. You can write it a number of different ways, but be very cautious to that. The other crew warranty you'll see sometimes is 
you've told me there's four crew and there's actually eight crew on board. You're only going to get four eights, in other words, half of your claim paid. Uh, you didn't pay enough premium. Uh, this is sort of like the marine version of coinsurance, I guess. Uh, very similar method. Combined single limit um, clause, just saying, you know, you've got a million dollars to spend, that's it, goodbye after you've spent the million dollars. Voluntary rec removal. Uh, again, most of the PNI forms give you compulsory. Um, voluntary is a separate type of coverage. Boat and yacht policies have a completely different method of insuring PNI, and and everyone's different, so we don't really get into that within this section. What we've done today is is really talk only about commercial vessels operating here in the U.S. Club rules. These are the mutual PNI clubs. Uh, these are for the most of the oceanly going uh, vessels. They again have a completely different set of coverages built into them, and they vary from club to club. Uh, you have to look at the club rules. They'll cover a lot of the same things we've talked about, but they'll give you a lot of other coverages which which a typical PNI does not uh, for again ocean-going vessels. And then builders' risk. You know, PNI for the vessel under construction, as you see in this photograph. Uh, again, separate coverage built into the builder's risk policy uh, for P&I for those types of vessels. So that's the end of the uh, uh, webinar itself. Um, if you've got questions, uh, go ahead, type them into the uh, question um, question box in the um, uh, question box on your poll. I see one or two popping up. I can't. Uh, read them yet. I'm trying to um, open them up. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, then um, let me do this. It's all right. There we go. I can see. Um, the uh, Again, just to remind you, we have the Certified Marine Insurance Professional Seminar coming up in Houston, October 22nd to 23rd. Uh, we're going to be out at the um, uh, west side of Houston at the Hilton there um, doing insuring vessel owners and operators and that's going to include a lot more on P&I uh, it's going to be hull insurance, cargo insurance, and charterers liability all those types of things will be in that seminar um, and then the uh, remaining um, webinars we have scheduled so far collision towers liability will come up on July 21st uh, this is the one we had to postpone from a few weeks ago. Uh, longshore insurance coverage, payrolls, mods, and rules uh, will be on August 11th. Uh, we're very fortunate to have Ken Baldwin from Excel. Many of you know Ken. Uh, he's going to do the webinar on September 1st on marine excesses and umbrellas. And on October 13th, we're going to do stock throughput, um, which for those of you who are not familiar with it, um, take cargo and property and move it together and you've got a stock throughput policy. So we'll take our questions now. Uh, a couple of um, questions about um, the presentation. Um, we will post this as we have every other one in our archives uh, within approximate, uh, I'm sorry, within a um, approximately a week we'll have this posted. There'll be a PDF of the presentation and um, there will be the a, a, video, a webinar recording, a video recording, putting all the words together well this afternoon, um, available after that. Um, 
Are you aware of any market accepted endorsements to limit crew liability to maintenance and cure only? Yes, that's a, a, not an unusual uh, situation. Um, it's pretty easy to limit to maintenance and cure only. That is particularly true if you have an owner-operator type of vessel. You can't be liable to yourself, so the captain who may own the vessel and operate it uh, still wants some sort of coverage and we're going to give them maintenance cure only. So a fairly, um, fairly what's the word I want, um, a fairly common idea is to take the P&I, limit it to the maintenance and cure only. Um, I'm not aware of any specific file endorsement that does it, um, but generally speaking, coverage is limited to, uh, to main secure only, or TWNC, transportation, wages, maintenance, secure, uh, will work. Uh, it's an easy form to manuscript. Uh, next question, how about consequential damages? For example, I wreck a dock, but the dock, due to environmental regulations, cannot be replaced. Owner loses use of dock and the profit associated with it. Yes, again, you've got to be held legally liable. There's a, there's a, this is a lib liability policy. But if you wreck that dock and the owner can't use it, then yes, that loss of earnings, if you're liable for that, um, you, you're going to pay it. And therefore, the P&I policy is going to come, um, come along with that. Um, question, can I send an example of an MSC only? Um, for the person who asked me that question, drop me an email afterwards to remind me. I'll be happy uh, to do so. Um, what's a ballpark for P&I coverage per crew member on a blue water vessel with no bad claims? That's a, you know, there's a tough question to answer, but um, you're looking, uh, you're going to look, you start by looking at what's the nationality of the crew. Uh, how much are they paid? What's the claims history going to be? Um, as it would be no surprise to most of you, if you have non-US crew, uh, the claims are going to be a lot, lot lighter than you have on a um, US crewman. Uh, again, five to ten grand on a decent account uh, might be a good idea. For US, um, some of the non-US, you could be looking at um, a thousand dollars, maybe less in certain cases for non-US, depending on where they are. Um, obviously, places like Canada, England, Australia, somewhere between the two. If you're looking at, um, at uh, perhaps some third world crew, the numbers go down even further because you don't pay them as much apart from anything else. Um, I was actually having a conversation with a Dutch underwriter some time ago. And um, she was saying to me that, you know, they charged anything from a 500 to $1,000 on P&I. And I said, well, that seems more than I would expect. And um, we kept going on the conversation. And what I assumed she meant was $500 to $1,000 per person. She was talking about $500 to $1,000 per boat, uh, which on the type of boats we were talking about equated to probably about $100 a person. Um, when you get outside the US, uh, the conversation on P&I is always around pollution. How much my pollution uh, going to cost me? Um, when you're here in the US, obviously, and Canada, and, and to some extent Australia and Great Britain, um, you're, you're talking about bodily injury claims. But um, uh, get over to the Far East. It's pollution, pollution, pollution. So it makes it very interesting. All right, we've just gone over our half an hour, so I'm going to cut it short there. 
again, if the um, attendee who wanted a, an example form would like to um, send me an email uh, once this is finished, I'll be happy to do so. So thank you for your attendance. Again, we will have this posted in approximately a week, uh, maybe a little bit less with a copy of the PowerPoint and the uh, video itself. We'll look forward to seeing you at the next webinar. Please sign up soon, spaces go. This was again a sellout, so um, if you want to attend future webinars, please, uh, please sign up soon. Thank you and have a good afternoon.